Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Welcome to the Dairy Brothers Tribecast. You're missing a voice here, I know. You're, you're looking for the great Matt Dairy, the driver of the show, the man, the myth, the legend. Well, my brother's on vacation this week, so you're stuck with me solo. So I apologize in advance. But in all seriousness, uh, thanks for listening. We're brought to you by the Center for Advanced Dentistry, Dr. Ben Hornstein, and of course, Breaking Tea, the best t-shirts in the business. So we got lots to discuss here. Um, I I was at opening day yesterday. I want to touch on that. Uh, I definitely want to touch on the first four games overall, what we saw in Detroit over the weekend. And uh, there's just a whole lot. So, you know, I I know it's fresh in everybody's minds. So let's talk about the home opener yesterday. So I'll just give you a a couple of things. My experience was actually kind of unique. Um, I had not been to a sporting event since... My buddy, the great Andy Rafael, and I went to Kansas, Iowa State in February of 2020. Obviously, full crowd. Little did I know that would be the last sporting event I would be attending for, you know, 14 months. But, but uh, no baseball last year, obviously. And and going in person, you know, uh, um, those listeners know that I, I, I'm a season ticket holder. Uh, I have a half season uh, in a group that has I have 40, and I have uh, four other guys that have 10. And so I, I pretty much go to every other game or, you know, you, you'll, you'll catch me between 40 and 50 a year for sure. Uh, so, but not being at a game for the first time, basically since I, I'm 45 years old, I think the first game I went to, I was three or four. I, I definitely have been to at least one, if not, you know, double digit Indians games my entire life for every year. This was a strange year last year, not going. So I got to tell you, I was a little apprehensive going in yesterday. I was very excited. I took my daughter, Brooke. She and I uh, headed down. We headed down like a normal game. And what was so interesting about the entire experience was I parked in my normal parking lot. I went in. And when you get into the stadium, it felt every, okay, granted, everyone had to have a mask on. You couldn't carry in a big bag, which was fine. I'm down to follow all the rules. Everyone should mask up. Everyone should get vaccinated. The sooner we do that, the better off we are. Uh, but I walked in, had my mask on, went through the metal detector. It was quick. Uh, went and found my new seats because I, I think I, I told you guys uh, on this podcast before that uh, with the season tickets, they couldn't give you their exact seats and they were you know, seniority based. Long story short, I'm about one section over from where I normally am and a couple rows back. It, it's it's a very similar situation. It was totally fine and totally great. And I get into the stadium. I make my usual walk. Everyone's, you know, wearing their masks for the most part. I, I make my our, our usual walk towards our, our seats, and I went in like I would normally go. And who's there to greet me at the top of the section? None other than Annie, the greatest usher in the entire stadium. I think the greatest usher in all of America, as far as I'm concerned, uh, for any for any sporting event. She's the best. Shout out to Annie. It was so good to see her. I hadn't seen her in two years. Um, so it really, it just, 
I don't know why, like, seeing Annie at the top of the section uh, and, you know, she gave me a big hug and it was, you know, it was, it was just, it was great. It just really felt great. And she's like, oh, Brooke, you look so big. It was, it was just, it felt home. It, it felt like being home again. And it was really a wonderful, wonderful experience. Now, granted, it was supposed to be in the 70s and it turned out to be about 50 and it was super windy. Um, so that, that was interesting. Luckily, I had a blanket uh uh, for Brooke, but you know, it was for the most part, listen, I've been to many opening days, including, uh, I, I think I've missed, I figured it out. I missed one opening day, um, since 1997, I believe, uh, or 1998, I missed one opening day and that was work related. And I didn't live here for eight of those years. So I always ended up making it back. But, um, you know, this opening day was obviously a, a, a little bit different, but it was just, it was so good to be back. It was opening day, you know, uh, they announced the team. It was, you know, just like they normally do with, you know, with Hammy on the field and all, and all that. So it was very, very cool. Um, you know, uh, we'll get into the game and, and all that in a minute. But, you know, props to, to the Indians and, and the, organiza the organization themselves and everybody, the ushers and the ticket takers and all, all the workers. Everybody was so friendly yesterday. And it really just felt normal. I, I, I tweeted this out yesterday. It just felt this was the first time that I've really felt some sort of sense of normalcy to where, you know what? Life is normal again. And I know that's going to sound cheesy and nostalgic and whatever you else you want to call it, but just sitting back in those seats, watching the Indians fire out of the dugout. Um, it was just, it just made me feel normal again. And I had such a blast with my daughter and we had, we had a really good time. And despite the fact that it was colder than I thought it was going to be, and the bats, you know, they, they obviously got shut out, didn't play very well. It, it was great. It was a short game. I was, I was back home by 7.30. It was, was stayed, you know, first pitch at the end. It was really, really great. And I hope that everybody can get out there. Oh, so one other thing I want to add. Um, so, so basically how they're doing it with seating is, for me, I was in my two seats which were basically seats two and three in the row. There was nobody in the row. There was nobody on the aisle next to me. And there was nobody on the aisle until seats nine and 10, which is the whole row. All of the seats, if they're not being used, are being zip tied. So literally you couldn't come by and visit your friend and sit down because the seats are zip tied. Um, yeah, so it, it was interesting, but the, the good news is it felt normal. I had nobody in the row in front of me. I had nobody in the row behind me. I could see perfectly. Uh, oh, other, other piece of info. No netting above this year. So it used to be where the pop-ups behind home plate would happen, the ball would hit the net, and then it would either roll back on or you would watch it and it was slowly and the balls would get stuck up there. So no netting. So you can catch more foul balls. Uh, the netting extends all the way down the lines, but no netting above, which is fine for me. Just had to take a sip of my energy drink, y'all. See, this is what happens when you have no co-host. Anyways, so back on track. So let's 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 talk about the game itself yesterday. Um, I'll say this: at the beginning of the game, they announce you know the lineups and whatever, and, and then the top of the first happens, and batting third for the Kansas City Royals, Carlos Santana, Tribe Legend. You know, I think we all have blocked out the one year he was in Philadelphia as if it didn't even happen. I, I, it feels like it didn't even happen. But 
I got listen, our fan base, the Indians fan base, is not the greatest. Look, let's. I've said this before. I'll say it again, and and I'm not going to uh, apologize for it. Tribe fans are either Johnny Come Lately super diehards, and or there's nothing, or or they don't exist. It's not a great great fan base. You know, we all know this is a Brownstown, whatever. But yesterday, when they announced Carlos Santana and he came to the plate for the first time, everybody rose and gave a standing ovation, which I absolutely love because I remember uh, a few years ago, Rajay Davis, after he hit the home run, you know, obviously the, the, the my favorite moments of all time in Indians history is Rajay's homer. And he came back, and the crowd was like, yeah. It wasn't great. This time, obviously, Rajay Davis had one great moment. Carlos Santana had a great career here, and it's different. But even in other people's returns that have come back have not gotten the reception that they deserved from our fan base. But I got to tell you, when Carlos came up to the plate and everybody rose and stood and clapped, he got a standing ovation so much to the point where Carlos took a step back, tipped his cap to the crowd, tipped his cap to the Indians bench. It was awesome. I loved it. So that was really good. You know, props out to the, to the fans yesterday um, who, who made that happen. It was really great. That was pretty much one of the highlights of the game because uh, I'm sure if you're listening to this podcast, you watched the home opener yesterday on television or you were there in, in, in person. I know you're going to look at the stats and go, oh, my God, they barely had any hits. They didn't score any runs. You know, I'm, I'm freaking out. The offense was terrible. I would say that yesterday was one of the worst BABIP luck games that I've ever seen. The amount of loud outs the Indians made yesterday and and was I, – I know Josh Naylor, like Josh Naylor absolutely scorched three balls. Two were outs and one was just foul. That would have been a, a double into the corner. Uh, that was tough to watch. You know, obviously, you had many, many chances. It was Danny Duffy who seemingly has pitched for the Royals for 25 years. And when you can't do anything against Danny Duffy, obviously, it gets frustrating. But you got to watch the game and see the nuances to see that Fran Reyes said it himself after the game. He goes, he wasn't good. He was lucky. I totally agree. The Indians, at, at, at one point, I counted... It was either six or seven just like line drive loud outs that were just roped at people. Um, and, and it was it was it was tough. So it's you know, these things straighten out. I know a lot of people are going to freak out about the offense, but let's slow our roll. We we got to. But but honestly, you go back to Naylor roping a, a bunch of balls. Let, let's talk about the ninth inning. Okay? Tribes down three nothing. Uh, first two guys get on base via a uh, walk and then a, a Jose Ramirez, a Cesar Hernandez walk, Jose Ramirez single. I do want to come back, by the way, someone in my head remind me, come back to the pinch hitting in the eighth inning. Anyways, first two guys get on base, up walks Eddie Rosario. Now you got the tying run comes to the plate in the newly acquired big bat Eddie Rosario. You got Eddie Rosario, followed by Fran Mio Reyes, followed by Josh Naylor. And you're like, all right. I, I, I turned to my daughter and said, something good is going to happen. I can feel it. Eddie Rosario, again, absolutely scorches a ball, which if nobody is on first base and Carlos Santana is not holding on a runner, is a double into the corner. But unfortunately, 
the Babbitt gods were just not with us yesterday, and Carlos Santana made a play at first base for the Royals that we've seen him make so many times here in Cleveland. And he turned that 3-6-3 double play, and it basically killed all the momentum, and that was the end. And, you know, the, the Indians went on to lose 3 to nothing. But, again, that was another instance where a ball was roped, and, uh, and, and it was just unfortunate, unfortunately placed. You know, that, that's, that's one of the things about the beauty of baseball. You can bloop a hit off the top of your bat, and it'll drop for a hit. And then you can absolutely hit a laser right at somebody, and you're out. You know, those little bloop hits count the same as a laser into the corners. My dad used to say, line drive in the box score. So um, on the good side from a pitching standpoint yesterday, uh, Logan Allen got the start, and uh, I know he was the best Indian starter this spring. He he beat out Cal Quantrill and Tristan McKenzie for the fourth spot in the rotation. Uh, he pitched a really nice game. Now, he started off shaky. He was clearly nervous. He was having a hard time uh, uh, um, placing, you know, spotting his stuff. But he really pitched a nice game. He went five innings. He he was tagged for two runs, okay? But those two runs came on one bad pitch and one bad decision, which was a two-run homer to Whit Merrifield, tribe killer. I go back to this. Nobody, I haven't heard anybody talk about this yet, but I know in the moment I could hear the groans coming from the, from the other people in the stadium. Two outs, nobody on. Ninth place batter, I think it was Nicky Lopez, comes up. Hits a ground ball up the middle, uh... Uh, uh, Ahmed Rosario playing shortstop, who we've been told time and time again, there's a reason why he's trying out uh, in center field. Got to have his back in the lineup, not a great defensive shortstop. Ball goes off of his glove, and the uh, it was originally ruled an error. The official score gave uh, Lopez a hit. It was an error, okay? Let's, let, let's call it what it is. It was an error. Uh and I don't want to say his name because I've called for a moratorium on it. And I heard the guy in the row behind me, or, or, or my row all the way down, I heard him say, well, if we still had redacted playing shortstop, he would have made that play. And would Andres Jimenez would have made that play? Yes. Nevertheless, Ahmed Rosario, the ball went off his glove. Next guy comes up. Logan Allen gets 3-0 behind with Merrifield and then makes a terrible mistake pitch, which Merrifield hit deep into the left field bleachers. Uh, you know, the wind, by the way, yesterday was not helping the Indians either with the bad in, in situation. Anyways, going back to it, Mer- Merrifield hits the two-run homer. He's a tribe killer. It was Allen's lone mistake. I thought he pitched really well. And where you got to give credit to Logan Allen is that he came back after, you know, struggling in his first two innings. I mean, he really, I didn't think he was going to make it more than three, four innings after the way he started, but he really came on and really pitched a nice game after the fact. And it looked like the Indians, uh, Terry Francona had this plan, which was you're going to get, Logan Allen is going to go for five innings or six innings or whatever it's going to be. And then they're going to get Tristan McKenzie, who was making his uh, season debut some work. They had they had said that beforehand. Both Chris Antonetti and Tito had said we're going to get McKenzie some work. They're both going to pitch in that fourth game. Allen gave up five hits, struck out three, walked two, gave up that one homer, um, 
you know, he, he threw only 72 pitches, though. I mean, clearly he could have continued to go. I didn't have a problem with going to McKenzie. McKenzie needs work. He's going to be, it looks like he's going to be the fifth starter and Quantrill's going to start out of the pen. Uh, McKenzie was decent, up and down, showed a lot of a, a good uh, life on his fastball. He struck out five in three and two thirds. He did walk four. Now, I'll say this, the home plate umpire yesterday, Chad Whitson, not impressive. He was squeezing Tristan a bunch. And Tristan would have gotten through um, four if not for being squeezed in that uh, in that top of the ninth. But James Karinchek then came on, uh, uh, struck out the one batter he faced, and uh, you know was his usual goofball self with two on and 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 and, and uh, two out and and did his thing. And it was very funny. My daughter saw him. She goes, "Oh, he's kind of cute." And I was like, "Really?" <laughs> that came out of nowhere. <laughs> but anyways, uh, the pitching yesterday did its job. I mean, again. I keep coming back to the fact that I think this team will be fine if they can get anything from the offense because you're now you've now gone through this this uh, uh, rotation the top four all four pitch uh, you know all four plus McKenzie pitched well bullpen's been good uh, they have yet to get you know blown out of a game or look really really bad um, you know so I, I I'm encouraged I, I am encouraged so. You know, that's 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 some opener talk um, real quick. And then we'll get into some other stuff. Just want to give you guys a heads up. If you're looking for a dentist on the east side of Ohio, uh, east side of Cleveland. Uh, heck, if you, you live on the west side and you need a dentist, will you do yourself a favor? Go to the Center for Advanced Dentistry. Three, six, nine, oh, Orange Place in Beachwood. OK, not only do they have America's greatest dentist and Dr. Ben Hornstein, who also loves his Indians and is a big fan of, uh, of of all sports, all Cleveland sports, for that matter. But now you've got the latest addition to the practice, the man, the myth, the legend, Dr. Sean Schlussel, okay? He's a, he's a terrific guy. I met him a couple weeks ago when I was there getting my teeth cleaned by Sandy. Also another big sports fan. Um, so if you want to go and you need a dentist and you want to go feel at ease, uh, talk some Cleveland sports, and and, and just, just get taken care of by people that really care, check them out. Give them a call, 216-595-1710, the Center for Advanced Dentistry. Tell them the Dairy Brothers sent you, um, and they'll hook you up. So take care take care of them, all right? Will you do that? And by the way, if you're looking for you know, a nice uh, uh, T-shirt for all of Cleveland sports uh, or you're a fan of other teams and you just like, you know, uh, whatever it might be. Okay, like last night, for example, the Baylor Bears. National champs of, of college basketball played so unbelievably well all year. I loved watching that team play. Big 12, baby. Uh, Breaking T already out with a championship joy T-shirt for Baylor basketball. National champs. You know, you 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 see it happen in, in an instant. Breaking T's got a T-shirt about it in all of sports, all right? So check them out. And if you can, go to breakingtea.com slash dairy, D-E-R-Y. And you tell them that you're a fan of the Dairy Brothers Tribecast, type in the promo code TRIBECAST10, you'll get 10% off on your first order. Hey, you know Aaron Rodgers, the great Aaron Rodgers quarterback? He hosted Jeopardy last night. Guess what they have on Breaking Tea today? An Aaron Rodgers Jeopardy t-shirt. They're that fast. So check them out. They got 
all kinds of stuff, Cleveland sports related. They got a nice Tristan McKenzie shirt, uh, the James Karinchak shirt, lots of tribe gear, lots of Browns gear, Cavs, get whatever it might be. Check them out, breakingtea.com slash dairy. And again, the promo code is tribecast10. Get 10% off on that order, courtesy of Breaking Tea. Pause for a drink. Okay, so let's get into the weekend of Detroit. My brother's not here to defend himself for that poor showing that he went to. No, in all seriousness, my brother's the greatest. He went to the game. It was 30 degrees. It was snowing. When Miggy hit that home run in the first inning off of Shane Bieber that no he, nobody saw it come off the bat, my brother, Matthew P. Derry, was in the stands for that, freezing his nuts off. So props out to you, Dees, for for being there. But, you know, it was a tough weekend in Detroit. Let's be honest, all right? That opening game, you know, Shane Bieber struggled in the first inning. It it was bad weather. You can make all the excuses you want, bad weather, whatever it is. But just like, you know, I know he's a Cy Young Award winner. We can't expect him every single time to come out and be, you know, Cy Young Bieber. The first two innings were a real struggle for him. He gave up two in the first on that two-run homer uh, to Miguel Cabrera, who has made his living and his career destroying Tribe pitching. Um, and, you know, he gave up one in the second. But after that, he completely settled in. He had only given up five hits. He struck out 12 guys, okay? I mean, that's, <laughs> you know, striking out 12. That's that's just impressive. So he got it all together. The problem for the Indians was they didn't score any runs until the ninth inning when Roberto Perez... Uh, hit that two-run homer off of, uh, uh, what is it, Jeffrey Soto? I always thought he, or Gregory Soto, I mean. Every time I see G. Soto, I think of Giovanni Soto, former Tribe uh, farmhand who was dealt to the Tigers, uh, uh, I believe, I can't remember who it was for, but I don't know why I feel like Johnny Peralta was, uh, or maybe they got him for Johnny I don't know, whatever. Somehow Johnny Peralta was tied into that. I, I digress. But the Indians, that was a struggle. You lose one game. They went, you know, over six with runners in scoring position, which they were leaving guys on base left and right, which has been a trend uh, so far in the first four games. But, you know, you lose the opener. I'm not going to get all up, that upset about it. It, it, was, it was a tough game. The, the, the next day they came out, Zach Plesak on the mound. Oh, I also want to say one other thing before we get to Saturday's game. Brian Shaw came on wearing his old number 27, and uh, uh, pitched a scoreless inning. And uh, I know that Brian Shaw is not a popular figure here, which I still don't understand. I mean, I still don't understand it. So he gave up the game-winning hit in Game 7 of the World Series. I don't want to rehash this, but if Jose Ramirez took one step to his right, that's a double play ball. Again, baseball is a game of inches. Just like, as I, I said for the home opener yesterday, the amount of loud outs the Indians make, Again, if, if J-Ram takes one step to his right, the Ben Zobris ball is a double play and the, and, and the inning is over. And I never want to talk about Ben Zobris and the fucking Cubs again. Okay, back back on topic. Let's let's Two hands on the wheel, 10 and 2, 10 and 2. Zach Plesak got the start in game two, came out, similar situation, first inning. Got touched up uh, with two outs by... Uh, uh, I believe it was, it was, it was just, you, you know, you look up that Tigers lineup. You're like, all right, Robbie Grossman is your leadoff man. 
Did you know that Robbie Grossman walked eight times in the first three games? The Indians walked Robbie Grossman eight times. How does that even happen? <sighs> Makes no sense. Willie Castro, of all people, former tribe farmhand who was traded there for Leonis Martin, which didn't turn out too well, uh, tripled to score a run in that first inning, and Miguel Cabrera drove in there. Drove in another run with an RBI ground out, and just like that, the Indians were down 2 nothing. Now, the one thing I will give the Tigers credit for in that opening series, they seem to be doing the little things, hitting sack flies, hitting ground balls to the right side when there's a man on third. They were doing the little things that they hadn't done. I don't know if that's just a small sample size or a tribute to the fact that the, uh, uh, their manager, A.J. Hinch, uh, um, has gotten you know something into them. They've grown a little bit more. They got some you know some decent talent. Uh, over there at the unnamed team, uh, they'll be a little bit better. Their pitching is still crap. But, uh, you know, the, the Tribe had a hard time in game one with Matthew Boyd. But in game two, you had Julio Tejeron for the unnamed team, who is a right-handed starter uh, who is bounced around now, third team. Uh, he, was a, he, he basically pitched a five and fly. The Indians couldn't, for the life of them, get in any runs. Uh, Eddie Rosario hit. Uh, it was good to see him. You know, I, I tweeted this in the moment. In the second inning, uh, down 2 nothing, Eddie Rosario came up, hit a solo bomb uh, off of Tehran, and I said, you know what? It's so good to be on this side of Eddie Rosario. The guy killed us for so long, and now when we see him deliver, you can't be surprised because he's, you know, he's a hell of a hitter, and it's great to have him in that lineup. So, you know, he basically provided the only offense for the first eight innings of that game. Because for some odd reason, the Indians couldn't touch the trio of Julio Tehran, Derek Holland, and Michael Fulmer. So that was a little disturbing. Now, this will bring me to the topic of the Indians' lineup construction. I will come back to this. And I will also come back, this will also bring us back to the pinch hitting situation that I wanted to touch on before. Okay. The Indians did not score again until the eighth inning of that game. Ended up losing 5-2. to two. Uh, uh, Nick Whitgren really, in his first appearance, struggled. I thought he got squeezed at one point uh, on a 3-2 pitch, uh, but he gave up three runs and three hits uh, in the seventh, which took a 2-1 to one game uh, and made it 5-1. to one. Uh, we, we did get uh, uh, our first look at Trevor Steffen out of the pen, who came out firing 96 and 97 mile per hour heat in a scoreless inning uh, of, of work. He looks like something that, uh, you know, the Indians have sorely lacked. And this between Stefan and Classe, Emmanuel Classe and Karinczak, I mean, we got, we finally have, uh, the Indians finally have flamethrowers out there in the pen. If you think about it, you go back the last few years, the Indians didn't have a let's go to this guy for a strikeout pitcher in the pen other than Karinczak last year. Everyone seemed to be a soft-tossing, uh, uh, you know, like, listen, Whitgren's a nice nice guy, a, a nice pitcher. He, he's, he's been a, you know, hell of a fine, but he, he's a 92-mile-per-hour guy. Brad Hand, your closer for the last three years, he was topping out at 90, 91 last year. So it's nice to have three guys out there really firing, uh, uh, throwing high heat. So it was good to see. I, I liked what I saw with Trevor Steffen. Um, so I, I'd like to see more, which will be good. Uh, but but in that game, again, the Indians, uh, uh, you know, just couldn't get it done and uh, uh, headed to Sunday 
And there was a sweep potential at the hands of the unnamed team, which, thank the Lord, did not happen because uh, that would have been really ugly and not a great way to start. But, you know, that's the beauty of baseball is, you know, momentum is, what do they say? Momentum is only as good as the next day's starting pitcher. And uh, uh, Sunday, the Indians came out, Aaron Savali on the mound, and uh, the, the Tigers brought a second lefty, Tarek Skubal, who I believe is their best young pitcher. I know they have Casey Mize, but Skubal's really good-looking uh, young left-hander. It was the second time the Indians faced a lefty. Aaron Savali, just like the first two starts with, with uh, 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 Plesak and Bieber, first inning, gave up two runs. Nomar Mazzara hit a two-run homer off of him. And then in the third inning, he gave up a solo homer to uh, uh, Badu. And I can't remember. Akil Badu. It was his first first career bat. Hits a homer. And, uh, you know, you're thinking to yourself, again, the tribe's down 3-1. And you're like, oh, my God. Are we really going to get swept here by the Tigers? That was the last hit Aaron Savali had given up. He looked absolutely fantastic. Just this was the Aaron Savali that, that I remember from two seasons ago who came up and just was so calm. Like, he's got that young Corey Kluber type Demeter on the mound. Nothing seems to shake him. He looked really, really good. He ended up going seven innings, striking out six, and he's not known for the, the strikeout. Only threw 91 pitches, too. Really, really did a nice job. I love what we saw from him. And the offense finally came alive. And uh, uh, what was nice about seeing that offense come alive was, you know, they were down three to one. Chipping back in the sixth inning, uh, ended up getting a, a, a couple runners on. Eddie Rosario hit a ground ball to the right side, which brought in a run, which I talked about the little things. It's good to have Eddie Rosario on. And then that seventh inning, you get a couple guys on, Josh Naylor and, and, and Ahmed Rosario, and then Yu Chang facing a lefty. Now, here's what made no sense to me. If I am uh, manager A.J. Hinch... And Yu Chang is up, and on deck is Austin Hedges, the backup catcher, who is not exactly known for making contact. In fact, he's one of the worst contact hitters uh, you will want to see. I, I know he, he ended up hitting a solo homer the next uh, later in the game, but that's a strikeout guy. I don't know why you are bringing in lefty. Uh, you, you, you leave the lefty Daniel Norris into the game, who had already been struggling, with Buck Farmer ready in the wings to come on and face Yu Chang. Apparently, he would rather have Yu Chang, who had hit earlier in the game, face Daniel Norris, than Jake Bowers face Buck Farmer, because that's the corresponding move that would have happened. Regardless, probably the biggest hit of Yu Chang's uh, short Indians career, driving in those two runs. It was a thing of beauty. I love to see it. And then Jordan Luplo came up with the big two-run homer that really... Uh, 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 broke the game open, made it six to three. Again, Luplo facing a lefty. I don't know why they didn't go to Farmer there too. But hey, it's early in the season. The unnamed manager can do whatever he wants. But it was a it was a thing of beauty. Uh, ended up the Indians hit a homer in the eighth with Frondio Reyes and one in the ninth with Austin Hedges, and ended up going on to win the game. So that kind of wraps up the game situation and what I saw. However. There is one major thing that I think is going to, uh, uh, it's already been talked about. I think we need to discuss more. Zach Meisel wrote an article in The Athletic 
Is it on the athletic or in the athletic? I'm going to say on the athletic because you don't, you're not in a website. You're in a newspaper. You're on a website. So he talked about lineup construction. To me, we've now seen four games and we've and the Indians have started again have faced three left-handed pitchers. The lineup with the left-handed pitchers on the mound, to me, which is Yu Chang playing first base and Jordan Luplo in center leading off, is far superior to the right-handed batting, uh, right-handed pitcher on the mound. Ben Gamble leading off and playing center field, journeyman Ben Gamble, and uh, 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 Jake Bowers, who you know, I, I think I, I think I've made my feelings known on, on on what I think about Jake Bowers playing first base. Yesterday, in the eighth inning, um, the Royals uh, were into their we were into the Royals bullpen. Scott Barlow came on after Danny Duffy. Uh, shut the Indians down, you know, with his Babbitt luck and hadn't scored. Scott Barlow comes into the game. We come up to the spots in the lineup and pinch hitting for Yu Chang is Jake Bowers and uh, uh, pinch hitting for Jordan Luplo is, uh, so it was the nine and one, so it's the bottom of the eight. Pinch hitting for Jordan Luplo is Ben Gamble. Now, again, I don't have anything personal against Ben Gamble. Ben Gamble is what he is. He's a, he's a journeyman fifth outfielder. I, I, it's not his fault that the manager uh, is leading him off. But when you send up Ben Gamble as your best left-handed pinch hitting option and that's who you're playing in center field, I have a problem with that. I'm sorry. I know Ahmed Rosario, they want him to play center field. Uh, we have, it's been four games. They didn't want to use him out there in Detroit with the big outfield. I get it. But they have botched that center field situation so badly. Daniel Johnson should be playing center field every day. I know Ben Gamble's a nice guy. I know Tom Hamilton came on this podcast two weeks ago and said he's he's got a good leadership role. But Ben Gamble is not a – if you're going to play Ben Gamble in center field, to have him be the guy getting the maximum amount of at-bats at the top of the order is just an egregious, egregious mistake. I don't know – if Kevin Cash – was managing this team. Do you think that Ben Gamble, if that, if Chris Antonetti said Kevin Cash or whoever else analytic manager you want to think of, do you think that he would bat him first? Why are you maximizing at bats for your arguably the worst guy in your top nine? Now on the broadcast on opening day, Matt Underwood said, you know, Cesar Hernandez told Terry Francona that he doesn't like hitting leadoff. He prefers hitting second. Tito, you're the fucking manager. That's your decision. If Cesar Hernandez doesn't want to hit leadoff, you make him want to hit leadoff. He's on a one-year contract. It's not like he's the unnamed, redacted former shortstop who, you know, they who didn't want to bat leadoff or, or didn't want to hit third or whatever it was. This is Cesar Hernandez, who I love, by the way, and I, I think he's great in the two-hole. To maximize the at-bats of Ben Gamble just doesn't make any sense to me at all. If you want to lead off Jordan Luplo against lefties, I'm actually fine with that because he mashes lefties, high on base percentage, got some pop from the left side or, or, or against left-handed pitchers. I'm actually fine with it. If you, but, but if Ahmed Rosario ends up being the center fielder and you want to lead him off, again, I'm also fine with that. What I'm not fine with is Ben Gamble 
who is arguably your 25th or 26th best player on the team batting leadoff. It just doesn't make any sense to me. It just doesn't make any sense to me. So, rant over. Anyways, next topic. Let's go back to uh, uh, center field in, in general. Do you think – What I, I just – I don't understand why they decided that Ben Gamble was the best job, uh, best guy for the job. I don't love Bradley Zimmer. Obviously, they don't either because this, it, it, this, this job was handed to him on a silver platter when Oscar Mercado fell flat on his face. Uh, and he's now in AAA. I still think they completely botched the Daniel Johnson situation, and I don't really understand it at all. Um, so I still believe you'll see him at some point. Uh, I don't know when, but I, I got to believe that at some point he will be the first guy uh, that they try. Jake Bowers is what he is. Uh, I I still go back to uh, the Indian. Yu Chang handled himself really well at first base in three of those first four games. Defensively, the only thing, and, and Andre not brought this up uh, on one of the games over the weekend, and I saw that I saw it firsthand yesterday. There was one ground ball that was between first and second, and you got way off the bag and almost didn't get back to first. And Logan Allen saw it real quickly, ran over there, and, and it's just you's got the hands, he's got the arm, he can handle the position. It's just a matter of positioning and getting used to which balls he needs to let go uh, and whatnot. But he's been a pleasant surprise and. But but I just I come back to the fact that the lineup against left-handed pitching with uh, uh, Chang and uh, um, um, oh my God what what is, with Chang at first base and Luplo in center field uh, is just far superior. Uh, the at bats that that uh, I've seen thus far from Jake Bowers have not been the greatest. But listen, he's gonna get at least forty-five you know, days to 60 days to get his act together. And if they got to dump him, they got to dump him. But the offense is not going to be any better with, with Jake Bowers and Ben Campbell and not going to be good enough. So the big guys have got to do it and uh, they will. I, I, I'm not going to panic and I want everybody to not panic as well. It's four games. I know the bats were silent, but with this offense, the way it is, and the way the pitching is going to keep you in every game, you're just going to need a couple of hits, you know, string something together here and there, and and, and they'll be fine. They will. Uh, I, I mean, I, I'm I'm not going to freak out again. I'm not going to freak out. It's four games. Indians fans shouldn't freak out either. Uh, there's plenty of baseball left. Just in case you didn't know, there's 162 games in a season. And... Uh, you know, you look around the division and you and, and you look at the standings and the Angels handled the White Sox pretty well this weekend. You know, they went White Sox are two and three, Tigers are two and two, twins look good in the in the Royals lineup. Listen, when 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 Hunter Dozier comes back and is in that lineup, the the, the, the top of the Royals lineup is actually pretty formidable, especially with Carlos Santana hitting third. Uh you know, Whit Merrifield is an absolute stud and has killed the Indians for a long time. You know, the division's going to be tough. Um, but with the Indians pitching staff, I still come back to the fact that they will be fine because this pitching is going to keep them in the games. So let's just real quick, the rest of the week, pitching matchups. I know my brother, the king of the pitching matchups, would love me to do this, so I'm going to do it for him. Uh, tomorrow's a 110 start. 
Yes, I will be back for game two. Shane Bieber will be back on the mound facing Brad Keller, who was the opening day starter for Kansas City and got lit up uh, by the Royal uh, by the Royals by the Rangers in the opener. And then you got uh, another day off Thursday, Friday night. The unnamed team comes back to town. And you got Zach Plesac going against Julio Teheran on Friday night at 7-10. 6-10 on Saturday. Aaron Savali against Tarek Skubal, who the Indians beat uh, on Sunday. And then Sunday, 1-10, with yours truly back in the stands. My second Logan Allen start against Julio Urena. Or Jose Arena, should I say? Jose Arena, who yesterday got absolutely destroyed by the uh, Twins in the uh, unnamed team's 15 to six loss. So those are your pitching matchups through Sunday. Um, you know, next week you're looking uh, the Tribe heads on the road for four in Chicago with the White Sox and the genius uh, Tony Larusa. And then you got three in Cincinnati next weekend. So Matt will be back. Uh, we'll be back with you most likely next Monday. Um, and we'll, we'll talk all things tribe. I appreciate y'all listening to me solo. I hope I don't have to do this again solo, but yeah, listen, my brother's entitled to a vacation. He's the hardest working man in show business. So there you go. So thanks for listening. Again, we're brought to you by the Center for Advanced Dentistry. Dr. Ben Hornstein, Dr. Sean Schlussel, and of course, BreakingTea.com. We'll check you all next week. Go Tribe. I'm Bruce Martin, host of Pit Pass Indy. Each week, I go behind the scenes of the NTT IndyCar Series and introduce our listeners to the biggest stars of IndyCar, which features the Indianapolis 500 as its cornerstone event. The men and women that compete in IndyCar may be the bravest athletes in all of sport as danger lurks around every corner. They are able to look danger in the eye without flinching. That is why the NTT IndyCar Series features the best racing on the planet. Join me every week as we talk to the stars of IndyCar, including the legends of the Indianapolis 500 on Pit Pass Indy from Evergreen Podcast. 